In the first five episodes, I interviewed people, mostly entrepreneurs, who tried out new things in life and started over again and again. By doing so, they have managed to create a life for themselves that lets them work with their passions and interests wherever they choose to live. When reflecting on these interviews, I thought that all of them have a lot of courage to move places, change jobs and try out new things. If you have been listening to my past episodes, maybe you have been thinking the same and wishing to have a little bit of their courage. I think making these kind of changes is actually possible not only for courageous entrepreneurs, but for anyone if you have a little help along the way. And in today's episode, I have a guest who thinks so too and even knows how to do it. I will talk with Dr. Ingo Raut, who is teaching a Design Your Life course to students and professionals around the world. We are talking about why career transitions can be so hard and how anyone can approach a major life or career transition in a proven process. If you are interested to learn more about the process of designing your life, stay tuned. Welcome to Anything But Boring, the podcast for everyone who wants a more exciting life. If you want more than a traditional career and are looking to bridge the gap between your creativity and savvy business sense, join me in listening to motivational stories of people who have done just that. I am your host, Julia Schippers. Every two weeks, you'll hear inspiring interviews with entrepreneurs, artists and aficionados of life as well as actionable tips that you can implement right away to get closer to your dream life. Welcome to Anything But Boring. Welcome to today's episode. Before we get started, please subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram with the name but underscore boring. And now let's get to today's episode. My guest today is Dr. Inge Raut, who has had more than 12 jobs in his career and has moved places more than 30 times. He started out as a designer, became an innovation researcher and a professor at IE Business School in Madrid and Rodman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Right now, he is the founder of the School of Becoming, and today we will have a conversation about his own career and how anyone can go through a career and life transition with an approach called Design Your Life that Ingo has taught for several years. Welcome, Ingo. Thank you for being my guest today and connecting all the way from Arizona to Shanghai. Hi, thank you for having me. You originally started out as a designer. How did you make so many different career changes in the last 12 years? Oh, um, that's a good question. Actually, I started out before that as um, like in a developer. So I was coding HTML and I always had an affinity for design. And I think it was mostly driven to um, as a way to have impact in the world, as a way to change things. And that led me from like in the early 1990s uh, to from coding to design And then feeling a little bit limited by the web 1.0 world at the time and then moving into product design and um, design strategy, innovation strategy, so on and so forth. And I think it was always this drive to figure out how things work. And with that insight 
empower others and have an impact on the world. And I think looking back, that's probably the red thread and what drove me. Um, but if you ask me in 10 years, maybe that answer will be a little different. Who knows? <laughs> so you came from design and design research into design thinking and then started to do a PhD in this? Right. Yeah. So um, working in innovation, I realized that a lot of times large organizations or people in large organizations make decisions that I didn't fully support. And looking at these decisions and looking at these things, I always wondered why. Why are they making these stupid decisions? And um, at the time, I didn't know. I didn't understand. And so I had this interest in understanding better in order to find a way to change things. And that triggered my interest in research and in doing or pursuing a PhD. Um, which then made me move to uh, Potsdam, like close to Berlin, uh, to join the Hassel Platten Institute and start my research on design thinking at the time. And being very interested in how large organizations try to make innovation happen. Um, during my first year there, I discovered that my research interest and the research interest of the institution that I was part of at the time wasn't really aligned. So they were very much focusing on team dynamics and trying to understand how design thinking work, works. But me, like being a designer, I thought like, well, design works. What I want to understand is why is it that organizations have such a hard time, people or organizations have such a hard time innovating or doing better things. And this drove me to uh, switch research institutions and move to Gothenburg in Sweden, where I then uh, continued and finally defended my PhD. And what, was, uh, what were your findings? Why do organizations have such a hard time? I myself also worked in innovation a bit, and um, I recognized that the problem is still there. Large organizations really struggle. <laughs> Okay, um, I try to make this, or I try to give you a short answer here. So organizations or people come together to organize to increase value creation. And in most businesses, that means profit. Now, profit requires us to optimize and to optimize the way we work with each other, to optimize the way we produce products. With that, it drives specialization. Now, When an organization tries to innovate, what it basically does, it, it questions what they already have working and it uses past of, part of their resources that they invest in this organization in like organizing for profit to um, find new ways to profit even more. Now, the problem with that is that innovation takes time and profiting to the extent that they already do in a new area is really, really challenging and really, really unlikely. It, it takes time. I mean, some organizations out there have 50 to 100 years of experience and they are rightfully proud of what they have created, but they might not be the best to actually invest in innovation because they expect that the new thing works as well or even better than the thing that they already have. And if you invested 100 years into something and specialized on that, the new thing will never be as good, at least not initially, as the thing that you already have in stock. And as 
innovators or people who work in innovation like designers and creatives, it's easy for us to imagine the next better thing. However, sometimes we overestimate the positive outcome that that will generate and we underestimate what it takes to get there. And so what's getting in the way of these organizations, if you want, is like they're very successful in what they do. And um, here I want to point out that's also something that gets in the way of us like changing and innovating and designing our lives. If, if we are successful in what we do, it becomes harder and harder to change because we understand that there is a cost to change that we often are not willing to pay. That makes a lot of sense, also on a personal level. So if the organization is already experiencing differences or if I am as a person, maybe I'm not happy with what I currently have, is it easier to change, to innovate? Uh, <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, like in innovation literature, um, there is like a consensus regarding that if an organization struggles a lot, um, there will be more likely or will be more open to innovate in more radical ways. And for individuals, that's not always true. Um, We sometimes get stuck and innovation sometimes gets stuck and if an organization sometimes gets stuck, if an organization gets stuck, it will cease to exist. If an, if an individual gets stuck in this middle period and they're not changing things around, they're not getting the help, they're not getting the support, they're not working on themselves, they're not like taking matters in their own hands if they can, well, then usually that can lead to things like uh, mental health issues, like for example, burnout or um, other consequences, like up to like physical consequences so that we feel ill um, that are not very pleasant, but these are likely outcomes if we fail to do that. And we hear there are a lot of stories out there where individuals have suffered from like their surrounding, from like the way things develop for them that motivated them to take great action, really radically turn their life around. And sometimes it needs that, but I think it not always needs that. I think in human psychology, we have two core drivers um, for individuals as well as groups. And one is pain and the other one being pleasure. And pain for sure is a motivator, but pleasure, hope, and faith can also be motivators that allow us to do and pursue great things. Now, when you finished your, your PhD in Sweden, you could have just gone on to have a career in academia and maybe some consulting work um, in innovation. But this is not the path you chose, or at least not in the long term. Oh, I love that this comes right after we talked about pain. So, uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't the, the path that I pursued in the long term. Actually, I uh, first... Um, did a postdoctorate and uh, an innovator in residency at Procter Gamble. And I then moved to uh, Toronto as I got an opportunity to work at the Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto. And one day, I, at the time I was also an adjunct professor at IA Business School, I was in Madrid standing in front of my class. We discussed the meaning of life. And not a small topic or not, a, not easy to discuss, but I always find it fascinating to listen to people talking about the meaning of life. And I was standing there listening to my students. And I don't know what it was, but at one point, all of a sudden, I had this realization, which was that the research that I was doing 
and the area that I was working in weren't as meaningful at the, as the experience that I had right in that moment talking to these students or with these students about the meaning of life. And realizing that, I thought that, well, if I want to be congruent with what I think is the right thing to do in life and how to go about life, I should actually quit my job and figure out what I really want to do with it. And in that moment, I knew that what I was doing wasn't the right thing. But nevertheless, it was really hard to end that. And it was really hard because I just spent like seven years or maybe more researching and specializing in innovation. I invested a lot of time and energy. I like collaborated with a lot of brilliant people and we managed to write a couple of papers um, that were well received, which is in and of itself something really good if you want to make it in academia. And so I had all these things, plus I was at really good universities and respected by my peers going for me and I felt it wasn't right. And that's painful because if you are doing the right thing, but it doesn't feel right, then you experience that divide between where you are and where you think you need to go. And the problem with that is that you might even not know what that thing is really. You only know that like you need to change directions. And so I did what probably everybody out there does who has a mom or a dad. You call them, call my mom. <laughs> I was like, hey, mom, what's going on? Um, like I, I need like somebody to listen. And, and she listened. And um, as she always is very encouraging, very supportive. She was very patient in listening. And then um, I don't know what she said specifically, but the way it resonated with me was like, yeah, it seems like you know what you want to do. So go ahead and do it. And then I decided to do it. And I, it was on a Monday that I had a session. It was on a Wednesday that I had a call with my mom. And on Friday, I was back in Toronto and I sat down with my colleagues and said, like, don't know how to put this, but I want to quit. And the response was like, when and why? And, and I said, well, I don't, I can't really explain it. And I, I told him the story that I just told you about like standing in front of that group and realizing it's not the wrong, it's not the right direction. And when they asked me when I said, well, today, and I said, well, that's might not be possible because administration is already closed. You might want to wait till Monday and maybe we, you should think about this over the weekend. But the thing was, I already made up my mind and I know, knew that I wanted to leave and that I had to leave. So uh, on Monday, I signed my resignation and um, there was by myself trying to figure out what I want to do next. Wow, that was a pretty quick decision. So you yeah, must have felt like really confident in your intuition or like really... Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I really felt confident it wasn't really logical. Um, I certainly felt a strong emotional pull and that convinced me, but there wasn't any strategy behind it. I mean, I knew that I wouldn't have to necessarily start working in somewhere else right away. So I had some time and 
what I learned later in a research project I did is that everybody has a certain way to deal with um, these situations. And what I didn't know back then was that my default was to quit when I realized, okay, this is not working for me and for them, and then have enough trust in myself that I will figure this out. But this comes from like many times quitting my job and starting over that I have this trust in myself that I can do this this way. What I realized also later on through my research and like I interviewed like 52 people going through life transitions just to figure out like how they go about it is that this is not the only strategy. So right now, the way I do it is I pursue something that covers my baseline. So that allows me to like make a living. And on top of that, I do the things that are me. So I do a little bit of a mix. When I was quitting, I thought I should do it as I always did, which was, okay, I quit, I take a break, I figure out what I want to do, and then I start the new thing. And that can work, but it didn't work for me at the time. And it was the first time that it didn't work, and I was really happy for a couple of people that told me their stories. So I figured out a different way. So now I'm very curious, what did you do after you actually quit? Celebrated. <laughs> Popped open a bottle of champagne and I was really relieved and I was really hopeful and I was super excited. And I had this list of things that I wanted to try. And so that's what I did next. And I should mention that at the time, so since that was 2018, I was already teaching Design Your Life at the university for about four years. And so I was really excited to have the opportunity to experiment and try out a couple of things, collaborate with different people and figure out what's what's fun to me and figure out what's purposeful to me and what's meaningful and how I want to make a living. And so I made a list of things that I wanted to try and started doing them. I collaborated with a conference to launch a new format. I um, worked with one large organization um, on a particular uh, format, like a training format. I went and supported a startup through various stages of growth. Um, and I did a couple of other things just to figure out for myself, okay, what is it that I want to do next? What is it that's fun to me? And under which conditions and which circumstances do I want to do it? And yeah, these like experiments and a couple of trainings, I wanted to learn about marketing. I wanted to learn about like creating online classes. I wanted to learn about being a better speaker. And I wanted to learn about sales and various other things. Um, they all informed and helped me to understand a little bit more about where I was going and what I wanted to do. And I can't say that I necessarily arrived where I wanted to be. <laughs> I feel sometimes I'm still like in this mode. It's coming to an end, but I feel somehow I'm still there. Um, but it made me really enjoy the journey. It made me really um, enjoy the growth process that comes within or through the journey and the space between spaces. I think... Oftentimes, when it comes to our lives, we always feel like we have to rush into the next thing. We feel like we have to do the next thing, have an answer ready for if somebody asks us, hey, what do you want to do next? And I realized that doing that sometimes 
that is, it's not the right thing. It's better to actually embrace that gap and figure out what we want to do before we pursue the next thing, because we might end up rushing into something that we don't like. That's not us. And then we repeat the whole process all over again, which I did a couple of times in my life. So giving myself that space was really liberating. And, um, I really enjoy being there and um, I still enjoy being there because it's a space in which you can grow and develop and um, learn a lot of things about yourself. I mean, this is also one of the basic ideas of design thinking to work with prototypes to like not just come up with the best solution in the first step, right. but like design a prototype and then test what is working about it and what is not. Right. And I think it's also one of the things that's often overlooked. So if you look up any model of design thinking and then design your life as like one way of practicing it, um, there's always a process, right? There's always um, like empathize, there's always define, ideate, uh, prototype, test kind of thing. But the thing is that when you test, when you do something, no matter what you do, and if it's going to work today, you will learn something about your work You will learn something about the way you do your work and you will learn something about yourself. And when we start realizing that, we can not only develop the way we do our work or contribute better at work, but we can always also use our work as a way to develop ourselves and understand ourselves better. And with that, um, contribute more consciously and find maybe even meaning or purpose in life. You mentioned that you started out by teaching a Design Your Life course at um, IE University. So I guess if you are teaching this to students or to MBA students who are a little bit older, it might be easier to think about this. But then if you also work with professionals who are a little bit older later on in their careers, does it become harder to change, to make these kind of life transitions? Oh, it's always hard. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have maybe a lot of pain and you already you already decided you don't want to do it. So when it comes to life transitions and making these things work, first of all, it's not a make or like break decision. It's not like we have this idea that we have to break with the old in order to engage with the new. That's not true. Like I have worked with executives that realize that they can find what they're looking for inside the same organization. Oftentimes that's easier. The problem that gets in our way is that we sometimes equate what life is in that moment with the situation that we are in, which means that the, the company that we work for, the job that we work in, the colleagues that we work with is the situation. And in order to change, I need to leave that all behind me because only then can I find something that is meaningful and purposeful to me and where I can find happiness. And I don't think that's necessarily true because if you are part of an organization, you are part of a community and you are as part of this community, other people have an interest in you staying there because you know how to behave, you know how to engage, you already contributed value, they trust you. So if you consider that, And if you are somewhat still okay in that organization, well, there are ways to transition within the organization that don't require you to quit your career. Um, also, what I realized working with professionals is that sometimes we get so obsessed with one thing at work that's not working that all of a sudden we, our subconscious mind tries to seek evidence for this being the wrong place and this like being something we have to take care of and 
that amplifies the problem to an extent that we need to quit or that we think we need to quit. I had this many times in my life where I thought, mm -hmm. okay, this is the wrong organization and I didn't see that avenue. What I understand now is that it's like if you have like a mosquito bite, if you have a mosquito bite, doesn't matter where it is, if it starts to itch, your whole like being becomes so focused on that mosquito bite that the whole experience of your life is about that mosquito bite in that moment. It doesn't mean that like the it doesn't mean anything that the other 99.9% of your body don't have a mosquito bite and you feel fine. It's like that mosquito bite that draws your attention. And the same thing is true if something's off at work, especially if you can't grasp it. So that just to say you don't have to quit in order to, and you don't have to make your transition complicated. On the other hand side, you might think, well, a student fresh out of college might have an easier time quitting uh, or like pursuing something new. I don't think that's the case, um, especially not when you are in North America or when you are like uh, when you are um, graduated from a private school and you have a lot of depth. It becomes really hard to change direction once you qualified for a certain job or role, even if, so, though, if you don't like it, because there's so much pressure on you to actually do that and earn the money and pay back that you don't feel like you have an option. In these cases, I think there is also like a, a way to see the situation that might be helpful if you experience that, which is to think, well, it might not be what I want to do next, but maybe I use this as a jumping board or as a basis to find and then pursue what I want to do next. What is the easiest way to figure out what you want to do next? I thought about this a lot and there are so many frameworks, but I think what it comes down to is the first question is, who are you really? In terms of what do you value and what do you really enjoy doing? And then the second question that you have to answer is, what is the right room? And what I mean with the right room is the environment where you feel you can be authentically yourself and you can contribute in authentic ways and in ways that is recognized by that room. And that room can be a team, that room can be an organization, that room can be a social group, that room can be a chat room. It doesn't really matter. But if you manage to answer these two questions, you will experience meaning and purpose in life. And it's as simple as that and as hard as that. Now, how do you teach life design from, from ground up to your university students? So I guess this, um, this is a later step to realize, okay, maybe this is where I'm right now and I'm slowly making changes. But how do you um, yeah, start it from the beginning? What is the process behind Okay, so the process is pretty simple. It's three steps. First of all, it's about figuring out what you really want, then figuring out where can you find it in the world, and then figuring out if this is really the thing that you want through experimentation and testing. And if that's the case, well, then we go and pursue it. And the going and pursuing part, they're usually established ways for that. But when it comes to the other parts, like figuring out what you really want and getting clarity regarding your direction. I think that's where design your life can really help you. We are trained to figure out what we want by looking into the world and identifying something that we hope will be the thing that we want. What do I mean by that? So if I ask you right now, for which company would you want to ideally work for? You might have an idea of a company 
that is maybe better than the company you're in or is a company that's highly regarded. But do you really know what it is like to work there? Probably not. So why are you so attracted to this organization if you don't really know why? Or if you don't really know why you want to work there? Well, what's important here to understand is that we all have subconscious beliefs or values that dictate or that influence what we like or want for ourselves. So for example, maybe you are very prone to, or you, you value novelty, you value innovation, or you value progress. And because of that, you are attracted to an organization like SpaceX, or maybe you value security and structure. And maybe that's why you are very prone or that's why you want to apply to an organization like um, governmental services or to like an organization that has been around for a hundred years and that promises these things. So uh, what we seek out there in the world is always a representation of the things that we subconsciously look for. So it never starts with understanding like, okay, what are all the organizations? It always starts with understanding what do I truly want? Do I want freedom? Do I want security? Do I want um, novelty? Or do I want to have wisdom? Or do I seek wisdom? Um, whatever it is, like it starts there. Once I know these things, I will know what to look for. I see that very often that um, people say, okay, I want to work for this organization. I want to have this job without really knowing um, what that means, what that entails. So I was doing, um, I was teaching a little bit of a life design workshop at a university in China, in a rural province in China mm, for female students. And then one of the students said, she wants to be a diplomat. And going into a diplomatic career is very uh, time consuming, very difficult, very competitive. And you have a lot of rules you have to stick to. But so her main reason for becoming a diplomat was that she wanted to travel the world. And so I tried to question, okay, I, I understand this, this is what you want to do, but maybe there are also other ways or other careers that would allow you to travel the world and live abroad. Right, right. So here, and it's, it's a great example because it shows that self-awareness or self-empathy, if you like, which is the first step, breeds opportunity. All of a sudden, I'm not tied to one outcome or to one idea. I can actually start going broad and kind of ask, okay, what are other ways in which I can travel the world? And we know that there are many careers. You can like work for an air, like for a flight company, or you can start working on a cruise ship, or you can like become an international recruiter. There, there are many ways to do that. So that's why it's so important to first figure out what it is that you really want. And then like think about, which is the second step, about all the options that you have because chances are there's more than one career that lets you pursue this and chances are there is one or two of these careers that are in line with your strength and they fulfill not only your desire to travel but maybe a couple of other desires that you have yeah absolutely so when it's when we know like these options which is the second step so ideation like figuring out okay all the options that we have As you know, there is um, no guarantee that any of these options, because you've never done them before, is the thing that you truly want for yourself. And this is where we try to experiment. 
I oftentimes compare this to dating your future. You would never, at least in the Western world, like marry the first person that you meet because we have this idea of meeting different people in order to determine who is the person that we want to date for longer and eventually start a serious relationship with. And we can apply the same principle to our careers and to other areas of our lives. It's basically about running small experiments that tell us if what we assume this to be is the reality of it. So let's say um, you really want to become a diplomat before going through the whole educational process, studying and getting all the, fulfilling all the criteria that you need to fulfill. How about like experiencing it and experiencing what it is like to be a diplomat or before you want to become a professional author or before you want to uh, become, um, or before you want to change your career and get into entrepreneurship. How about starting and running a very small business just to see what it would be like? And this is really at the core of experimentation is trying to figure out and get an answer to what it would be like. Because it is only then when we have the experience that we can make a decision in terms of, is this really what we want? Is this really what we want to invest our lifetime in or not? And the good thing is, if you see it as an experiment, you can't fail because you will always learn and you can pursue more than one thing. Oftentimes, when it comes to our careers, we have this idea that we have to make a decision, but we don't have to make a decision just yet. We can try things out. We can experiment with different careers, with different ways of living before we fully commit. And that works for careers, that works for your hobbies, that works for where you want to live or for a couple of other areas in your life that you might want to consider or where you don't know how to decide. So I think that when it comes to design your life, a lot of people focus on their career, but it's important to recognize that you can also apply this in all other areas of your life. Mm. And I think the first steps, so figuring out um, who am I, where do I want to go, what's important to me, this is somehow more easily understood to people than the concept of experimenting. I think when it comes to life design, to really follow through and do these experiments, first of all, takes time and you have to stick to it. Yeah, I... I don't think that an experiment necessarily takes a lot of time. I think a good experiment gives you the maximum amount of insight with the minimum amount of investment. <laughs> Let me give you an example of what this means. So I was running a workshop for a group of executives. And one of the participants, she was considering um, becoming a sommelier. It's something that she always wanted to do, but that she never pursued because she had this belief that she might not have what it takes. She's not born in the wine region. She doesn't understand that much about wine, although she has some experience and some ideas. And so she was doubting herself and she was doubting that this would be it. We talked about what she could do as a prototype and the thing that she came up with and landed on in the end transformed and I think really characterizes what prototyping is all about for all the participants involved. So what she did, and she only had two hours to do this, what she did is she went to the lobby bar of the place where we were, and she purchased three bottles of wine, a red, a white, 
and a rosé. Then she went online and created the tasting notes for these three bottles. And she set up a tasting for the group. So by the time it was time for us to present our prototypes and or the results of the prototypes, what we learned, she invited everybody to um, a wine tasting. And what she did blew us all away. She was amazing. Like the hotel staff also came and witnessed this presentation. There were 11 people in front of her and she flawlessly presented each wine, talked about the vineyards, talked about the families producing it, talked about the flavor profile of the wine, then like poured everyone um, a little bit to taste and guided us through the tasting experience. And the important thing there for her was that for the first time, she, exp she experienced what it was like. And for the first time, she realized that she could actually do this. She was actually able to perform this to a level and to an extent that not only astonished her, but earned her a lot of positive compliments and um kind of support from everybody involved, including the hotel staff. <laughs> and this only took her two hours to prepare and run. And it was something that she had contemplated for the last 20 years of her life. And I think this is where the power of prototyping lies. You can't simulate experience to an extent that creates the emotion you need to pursue something. If you want the emotional experience, if you want the response, if you want to know what it feels like, you have to do it. And the best way to do it, it is to do it in an environment where you can fail. And this is why creating this environment, finding this environment and running these prototypes is so important. And here it's also not about promising the world and it's about being very transparent and open and telling people that you do this with or for that you wanna try this. And that can be immensely liberating. So think about saying to a friend, oh, I want to write, a, like, let's say, a contribution to your blog, right? And all of a sudden, you feel all that pressure to make it really, really good. And think about it in ways of saying that, hey, um, I want to support you or I want to contribute to your blog because I really want to understand what it's like to write a blog post and be a professional writer. Is there a chance to um, contribute and maybe get some guidance from you. And all of a sudden, you are in learning mode. You're not in delivery and performance mode anymore. And you can be open about your vulnerabilities and you can enjoy this journey much more and focus on your own experience much more than if you have all that pressure to perform. Now, coming back to, to your personal change journey. So you quit um, your job at Rodman University in 2018, but then in 2020, so in the middle of the pandemic, you decided to start um, the School of Becoming. Why did you start it in 2020? I think I had a couple of ideas before. So I told you that I did a couple of experiments. I um, did uh, an experiment in the beginning of 2020 where I had a conversation in 2019 with my girlfriend and I was like, yeah, it would be really great if there would be a space that would allow people to figure out what they want to do next. Kind of the in-between space between what you're doing right now and what the next thing is. Because in our culture, we don't allow for the space. We don't have the space. 
And that's the thing that I learned reflecting on my life. I always felt rushed to do the, same, the next thing. And it was the first time actually that I had the space to pursue this and figure it out for myself. And I thought, this is the most amazing experience ever. So I shared that with my girlfriend and she was like, hey, um, there might be a place like this. Have you heard about this guy called Chip Conley? And I was like, no. And she was like, you should really listen to his interview with um, Tim Ferriss. Um, it's a podcast episode and I listened to it and I realized this guy was actually doing what I wanted to do for people that were about to retire. So there is this period between when you are at the peak of your career and you retire into retirement where we don't have a ritual, where we don't have support for people to figure out what they want to do next. And most people, when they retire right now, they still have 20 years of life. So what do you want to do with that? So he created a school that's called Modern Elder Academy for that. And I realized, hey, this is what I want to do. This is the closest to what I want to do. And so I wrote him an email. It took me two days to send um, because I was so nervous. And what I asked for in that email was essentially, can I do an internship or apprenticeship because I want to know and I want to understand how to run a school? And to my surprise, this guy answered within two hours and said like, uh, yeah, there might be a chance. Where do you want to come? And so <laughs> fast forward, I got this opportunity to join them for five weeks, which was amazing. I'm super thankful for that opportunity. It led to a couple of other things. But most importantly, it led me to understand that what, I really, what I'm really passionate about is creating these spaces that support people in becoming who they want to be next. And... Coming back from that experience early 2020, I pursued different academic institutions that I worked with in the past and said like, hey, this is, I want to create the spaces. Is there, is there space for this in your curriculum? And everybody said, nope, nope. And I was like, okay, great. And then the COVID hit and all of a sudden, like all the executive programs and everything was shut down. And I asked them, what are you going to do about this? Isn't there an opportunity to support people, to create a space? Because we're all going through this uncertainty. We're all going through a transition right now. And there's so much need. And they were like, ah, no, we're going to wait a little bit. And we don't know what we're doing yet. And that was intensely frustrating. So what I did there was one evening, I had a conversation with friends. And by the way, if you go through a transition right now, talk to friends. It's the last thing that you want to do, but do it. it it's so helpful. Um, I talked to a friend, shout out to Michael here, and I realized, and Elise, um, that I should be doing something about this. I know a lot of educators. I know a lot of people that know how to deal with uncertainty, and I know a lot of people that are very smart and that can help others to figure things out. So that evening, I decided to write a couple of emails to friends, other educators, speakers, and say... Basically, I have this idea. I want to create an online school for one month and um, I want to deliver one free session a day for one hour by one of you that helps people to navigate like this uncertain situation that helps people to navigate this transition space that we're in. And I thought like, okay, let's see how that goes. But to my surprise, next day, I got five or six answers saying, like, yep, this is a great idea we're in. And all of a sudden I realized I had to do this. And then I didn't know how to do this, to be honest, but um, I figured it out. And then within a week, I created an online program. I put that up on LinkedIn. 
I had a couple of more people lined up. I um, shared the word or shared the news with everybody that I knew and invited everybody that I knew and uh, invited them also to invite their friends to come to these events. And we did um, 20, how much was it? 20 sessions to start with um, and had 1,500 live participants that came to these different events. It wasn't always um, like 1,500. It was 1,500 the whole time and participants varied from 50 to 100. But more importantly, what it did, it created this space and people really loved being in that space. I had people that came session after session, they tuned in every day. I had people who came in once in a while. And what I did there from the very beginning, I said, this is an experiment. I only want to do this for one month and then it's over. But at the end of the month, people asked me, hey, will you do another one? Um, we would love for this to go on. And people who presented were like, hey, I know this guy or I know this woman or I have this friend. They should contribute to this. And so it took a little bit of life of its own. And I ended up doing this for 50 episodes, um, having some amazing contributors from TED and TEDx speakers to professional trainers to um, company CEOs to professors like from all over the place coming to educate people for free and create this space. And although that was extremely rewarding, it wasn't profitable. It didn't make any money, not for me, not for anybody else, if anything, like we all invested our time, energy, and resources. And so I stopped it after 50 episodes. And that led me to 2021. And I had to figure out, okay, what do I want to do next? Because this didn't work. And what I realized is that I still wanted to do it, but the way I went about it wasn't sustainable. So I had to first find a way to sustain myself before I could do this again. And that's what I'm currently working on. So how did you turn um, this project from 2020 into the business you're having now? So what I realized in 2020 was, as I said, this wasn't sustainable. But I also realized this is something that I really wanted to do. So in order for me to figure out a way forward, I started to educate myself as an entrepreneur and started to have conversations with people that know how to build a school and know how to build an online school. And I'm still trying to figure out like what the business model exactly looks like. So if you are out there listening to this and you have ideas, feel free to contact me. At the same time, in order to sustain myself like throughout this period, I give online courses. So I teach design your life courses once in a while that are open to everyone. And that's a multi-week program. I coach people who seek to go through a career transition, trying to figure out what it is that they want to do next and try to and help them to solve that and figure that out uh, in the shortest amount possible, because otherwise these things can take months. And I recently became a dad, which consumes right now, uh, the most or the biggest chunk of my time. <laughs> Obviously. Now, one question that I ask all my guests, and it's a little bit of a funny question. If you were a color, which color would you be and why? That's a good question. <laughs> okay, let's go with my gut. Okay. Um, first, I thought blue, and then I was thinking, why blue? I don't really know. It's just something that came to mind. Maybe I'm conditioned there. 
Then I thought a rainbow because there are a couple of colors that I like. Um, I like yellow for energy. I like um, blue maybe for depth and insight. So maybe that's my answer. Um, I would be blue because I really value a deeper understanding of things and uh, going to the deepest depth of the ocean, if you like, in order to figure out what things are about and how we can go about them in better ways and how to pursue them. So there you have it, blue. <laughs> Perfect. And what is a book, movie or podcast that you might recommend to listeners? So one book that I recently read, which um, for me resonates a lot in terms of life design and career design and figuring things out and this idea of prototyping and um, like self-awareness is The Art and Business of Writing Online um, by Nicholas Cole. And the reason why this resonates is because he advocates actually putting yourself out there and learning in public, which is what prototyping is about. It's not only beneficial if you want to become like somebody that writes online or if you kind of want to become an influencer or if you want to write a book or whatever it is. It is the attitude and the kind of take on things by the author that I found really inspiring. So that would be one book that I could wholeheartedly recommend. And if you ask me, there are many, many more, but that's one that I read recently. Hence, it's top of mind. Where can people find out more about you? How can they find you online? If they want to give you some feedback. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to connect with me, um, if you have ideas or if you want to discuss what your career or life transition, feel free to reach me via LinkedIn. So just put in my name, Ingo Rout. Um, I'm sure you can find it in the show notes. Um, or visit my website, schoolofbecoming.org where I collected a bunch of articles and resources that hopefully help you to become who you want to be next. Um, aside from design thinking or anything else that I offer, this is usually a good place to start if you want to have some more information on how to pursue a career or life transition. I will put all the links to where people can find you in the show notes so that you can just uh, click on the links. And I found this interview um, very insightful Uh, I myself will go back and think a little bit about what experiments I want to try next. So thank you very much, Ingo, for being my guest today. Thank you very much for having me. If you like this episode, I would be super happy if you leave a comment uh, on this page and give this podcast a rating. Or maybe you know someone who would benefit from listening to this. So feel free to forward them this episode. Thank you very much for listening and happy to hear from you.